Today, we're going to move on to our next symbol. And today is a special symbol because it is one of the most important, not just illustrations or symbols or reminders, one of the most important task activities that you can incorporate within your faith and within your life. Without this symbol, I, I will just tell you, not necessarily the symbol itself, but what it represents, it, you cannot grow in your faith. You cannot see God work. You cannot experience the incredible things in which God is doing if this is not a part of your life. So this is so crucial. And what I want, to, I want us to look at through this time, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer together at the end. I want you to see how God has instilled within his people from the very beginning the need to pray and the need to be in constantly in the presence of God. And you can be in the presence of God. Uh, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago with the Passover, that God has consistently wanted to be with you, not just in this theoretical idea, but actually his presence to be with you. Scripture says, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, there God is with you. We are here to gather together in God's name, which means God is here. The inc- incredible thing is that two people can be in the same room. One can feel that God's presence is there. The other wonders where God is. It's an amazing thing that you begin to, when you begin to understand what it looks like to follow Christ, it's an amazing thing that you can read scripture. You can come to church. You can do these things and at the same time feel absolutely devoid of the presence of God, which is not what God wants. And if we're honest, it's not what any of us want either, right? We want to experience God's presence. So as we go through this, I want us to open in prayer, and then I'm going to go through some of just the basic details of the symbol, and then I want to spend some time on how do we understand this today, and then spend some time praying together today. So let's, let's begin with prayer right now. Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, I do thank you for your presence. I thank you that your love is so overwhelming and abiding that you are with us no matter what. I pray that in this moment together, that as we understand your word and we understand how you have worked in times past, in times present, and will work in times future, that we can be where you are and we can, if nothing else, know that we are in the presence of the most holy God. I thank you for your grace in which we have not deserved this honor and opportunity. I thank you for the gift of Christ because that is how we have received it today. And Father, as we as we continue to seek you out, I pray that this would become more alive to us and more real to us than anything else that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the prayer shawl. This is not something that typically uh, people practice today. However, this was an indispensable part of the nation of Israel and the Jewish, not only faith, but the Jewish culture. Now, as we read through the Old Testament, you may not realize this, but the Old Testament is ripe with places where the prayer shawl was something that was not only referred to, it was not just worn on a daily basis, but the prayer shawl was literally something in which God's power would be delivered to others. It really is an amazing item or article of clothing that someone would wear that you probably have never either, either seen or touched. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. But as we understand it, the prayer shawl, which is called the talit in Hebrew, literally means little tent. I want you to keep that in mind because if we simply look at this as that's a neat thing to wear and to remember, it means so much more than that. Literally means little tent. And it was an invitation by God to experience his presence, to experience his power, and to experience his help. Now, my guess is that most of us in the room have prayed at some point or another. Would you agree with me? Yeah, if you've ever ridden with your child on the first time they got their day, they got their driver's permit, you have prayed, right? Yeah, yeah. and sometimes when you see others driving, you know, oh, pray, Lord, please help us and them. <laughs> if you've ever struggled, suffered, if you've ever had something go wrong, you've prayed. If you've ever been faced with mortality in some way, either someone you care about or yourself, you've prayed. If you've ever been faced with losing a job, If you've ever been faced with failing a test, if you've ever been faced with something not going the way you desperately hope it's going to go, you have prayed. 
And those are legitimate, God-requested prayers. However, there's much more to the concept of praying than just that. And if our prayers are focused simply on those things of, God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to save me. God, I need you to rescue me. God, I need this to go my way. And I'm going to tell you right now, you are missing on the greatest opportunity that prayer offers, even if God answered every single one of those prayers exactly the way you wanted him to. There is something more. There is something better. There is something greater. Prayer for me is something that you cannot survive in this world as a follower of Christ without. There are things that happen. You will not know how to deal with them. And you will have to go to your father and say, God, I don't know what to do here. We got a call. Deidre got a message last weekend. Family that used to attend Journey years and years ago called and a friend of theirs baby had died. And he just wanted to come perform a funeral for a seven-month-old baby. Now, what would you do in that moment? Do you walk up and give the sinner's prayer and tell people God's with you and then walk away? Because that's how it feels. (laughs) And in those moments leading up, in those moments during, in those moments after, I will tell you for me, it was a vast amount of praying. (laughs) Because there are some things in life that you only God can show up and do. And I want to believe I can do it. I want to believe it's about me, and I want to believe I've got all the skills and abilities to pull off anything that needs to happen, but I've lived a few years, (laughs) and I've learned that doesn't work that way. I thought it did at one time, right? It doesn't work that way. But even if God shows up, and every time that I call out to him and say, God, I need you to rescue me, I need you to help me, I need this thing to go my way, even if he showed up every time exactly the way I wanted him to, if that was all that prayer was, you would be missing on the greatest gift of what prayer is meant to be. Because it is meant to be more than that. We read about the, the um, prayer shawl as we call it. That's not what they called it, but that's what we call it. In Numbers chapter 15, and many of the, the symbols that we've seen so far are symbols that God has given Moses to then transfer to the nation of Israel. They have come out of Egypt, and God is telling them, you need to remember, and you need to keep me center and foremost. Do you remember what the first law of the Ten Commandments is? Somebody, somebody say it. Love the Lord your God. Everything else falls under that. Jesus would go on to say, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Remember Him. And then He said, the second is like it. Love other people too. So all of the law, all of God's presence, all of what God hopes for us in our lives as followers of Jesus is that those two things would begin to happen within us, that we would love God and that we would love people around us. This is what God's commandments lead us to. This is what God wanted for us in the beginning. This is what God's been doing to restore us to that place since the Garden of Eden. And in this very specific time in history, the nation of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. So this is all happening at the same time in which we've looked at the Ten Commandments. It's the exact same environment in which we have the Passover and we have the tabernacle and we have the temple instructions, what will happen later in the temple. This is all happening right after they are released from Egypt. Within three months of walking in the desert, Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving many of these things. And one of the things that God taught Moses was that they should be wearing something called the talent. This is where we read about it in Numbers chapter 15. It said, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commandments of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. Now, throughout this, I want you to see a few things. One is I want you to see that there is a very close relationship between prayer and God's word. Very close. They are not these two independent things like I need to be praying. I need to be studying God's word. Okay, I'm praying, but I'm not really studying God's word or I'm studying God's word, but I'm not really praying. These things go hand in hand from the beginning. God wanted us to understand that. 
And so literally what he is saying is, you are going to make tassels. Now I have a prayer shawl. This is a smaller version of a prayer shawl in which probably most people would have carried something just like this. They would have worn something just like this. They do make larger prayer shawls that are cut just like a shirt where, or like a poncho. And they would have a hole in the middle and you would wear it like a shirt. And this would be worn either tucked in, as some would tuck them in, or they would be, have the tassels hanging out. And so you would take this prayer shawl and wrap it around your neck. And literally, you were not dressed unless you walked out with one of these. Now, when we look through some of the history of what Moses was told by God, is that on four corners, for them, their initial garments that they would have tassels on were round. And so I don't know how you figure out how to put a tassel on the corner of a round garment, but they were round. This, is, this became later the, the smaller version that most would wear. Men were commanded to wear it. Women could wear it if they wanted to. And you would wear it literally everywhere and doing everything you did except when you went to the bathroom. You could have them tucked in. You could have it around your waist. You could wear it in any number of ways. But what he was commanded to do primarily was not the garment itself, but it were, it were these tassels. Now, in each one of these tassels, you have knots, you have spaces, you have ties all throughout the, what is called the fringe of the garment. And on each of these tassels will be a blue thread that is incorporated because he said, I want you to understand that every tassel needs a blue thread. We'll understand later that that blue thread is going to represent the Messiah. And many of those that carry prayer shawls that are believers in Christ carry that understanding with them. And you will have five primary knots in each tassel. Each of those knots represented one of the books of the Torah because God's law, God's word was something that was crucial and upfront for everyone that was going to be wearing that. Within that, there were going to be 613 knots throughout the entire garment, which represented, anybody know what? 613 is an important number. Do you know why? It's a number of laws that there were given to Moses. So I want you to picture this within each of these tassels between each of these knots are four spaces with this one round with the blue string and each of those four spaces were meant to represent one of the four letters of the Hebrew name for God or Yahweh, which was literally four letters. Now, I want you to see why this symbol is important, because as you went through your day, things are going well, things are not going well, you just lost your job, you just got a job, you just had a baby, now somebody's sick. Uh, Throughout your day, you're walking around here, feeling the garment, and you're feeling these tassels, and these tassels are meant for you to think about, guess who? Yahweh. But not just Yahweh, because what do all the knots represent? The books of the Torah, the law. And so you can imagine that many times as they were walking, they would be praying and they would wrap these tassels around their fingers and they would run their thumbs over the knots and over the cords and it would cause them to consider several things, one of which God has delivered us from Egypt. God has taken us out of slavery and brought us into a promised land. God has also said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be here. I will be your God. And you can come to me and you can call on me and I will care for your needs. What would it look like if you went throughout your day, a tassel wrapped around your finger, constantly thinking about God no matter what you're doing? You come into work, you're sitting around the water cooler, you go to lunch. You're in your car. Well, don't wrap it around your finger while you're driving. But and I'm not suggesting we do that. But what would happen if God was so central in our thoughts and everything that we do that we were just constantly thinking about him? Now, what's interesting is, is this little tent concept of what the talent literally means. It can mean 
a secret or inner chamber. The kanaf, which is what the smaller version of the talent is, a secret or inner chamber. It can also mean wings. Can you think of any verses in which wings are significant in Scripture? Someone throw one out. We'll rise up with wings like eagles. That's literally what the kanaf talent can be translated as, not of eagles, but as wings. You can cover yourself. Whenever they would hold out the prayer shawl, it would look like, guess what? Wings. If you look back and you begin to look at places where wings are referenced in Scripture, when we talk about the hems of people's garments in Scripture, the hem is their fringe. It's their tassel. And as we begin to understand the symbol in which God is giving us, I want you to consider me. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my word. And I want you to be with me. We know that at this time within their history before the New Testament, we know that the presence of God was seen where? In the temple or the tabernacle while they're still wandering. And even within the tabernacle, his presence was in one portion of it, right? The what? You didn't know you were coming to a quiz today, did you? The Holy of Holies. See, I want you to pull these things, pull all these things together we're talking about. They're all pushing to one central message, the same message everywhere you go. And so whenever they would hold it out, it would look just like wings. Whenever you would pray, you would go into your inner chamber. And I don't know about you, we don't have a room just for prayer in our house. Maybe you do and you're more spiritual than we are. We don't have that and most people don't. We just like to have a room to get away from each other every now and again, right? And many times when we read in Scripture, when it talks about going to your inner room and pray, he's not talking about going to the house or into the room in your house that's designated for prayer. They would take their prayer shawl, which represented the presence and the covenant of God, and they would bring it around themselves and wrap it around their head, and it would create a, do you remember what little tent, or excuse me, what talent means? There you go, gave you the answer. (laughs) What does the word talent mean? Little tent. And so when you would go into your prayer closet, you would take your prayer shawl and wrap it around you, and you are engulfed, wrapped around by what? God's presence, God's word, God's name. Now, this is going to carry them through the Old Testament. This is not just this interesting thing in which they do, in which not only does it become very meaningful, it becomes abused. Because sometimes Christians, I know it's hard to imagine this, but sometimes Christians take these things and they, instead of magnifying God, magnify themselves. That doesn't happen anymore, you know. But it apparently did happen at one time. And when we begin to look at these tassels, we begin to look at what this means, I want you to understand prayer is the vehicle to experience God's presence wherever you are. Because what was represented in the prayer shawl today is represented in the Holy Spirit within us. If you read through the story of David, there's a great story of David. And we're not going to go through it all. We've gone through it before here. There's a great story about David when Saul is chasing him. And Saul and his men, who are kind of trying to keep him safe, because Saul has already been told, you're going to lose the kingship. A new king has been anointed by God, which was David. And Saul was like, oh, no, he's not. I'm going to wipe him out. So as David came ridiculously close to Saul and his army, they held up in a cave And Saul, let me just read it. 1 Samuel 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way. There was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. They didn't have truck stops along the way. Gas stations. They had caves. Now David and his men were sitting in the, in, in the innermost parts of the cave. This is not a position you want to be in when you're hunting somebody. Now do you remember you would wear your, your, you would wear your prayer shawl all the time except for when you were doing what? Or relieving yourself as our writer so carefully worded. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, 
Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to them as it seems good to you. Then David rose up and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What do you think he cut off on the corner of Saul's robe? The tassel. Now, why do that? That's not exactly a strategic move. Like, David's going to come out and step down. I've lost a tassel, guys. I can no longer be king. Why would David do that? See, if you don't begin to dig deeper into the history and into the understanding of why Scripture is the way it is, why God acts the way He acts, you would read over that and go, well, that's interesting. That's weird, but that's interesting. But when you begin to dig and you begin to understand God's Word in a bigger way, you begin to see David was literally saying to him, you are not following God. You cannot be observant because you do not have the four tassels on the corners of your garment. But even at that, it's interesting, we're going to leave David at this point, but even at that, David's heart froze within him and he said, oh, what have I done? This is not for me to decide, but this is for God to decide. The story will go on, and if you want to read the rest of that story, you can. story goes on, Saul leaves, he doesn't recognize it, and as he's gone, they yell down from the cave, look what I have done for you. Look at your garment. You're missing something. I could have taken your life and I didn't. He did. He did. He's talking about the tassel. That was how important each of these meanings were for them in which they would wear this continually. They would be focusing on God continually. They would have God's presence with them continually. As we look through history and we look through the incredible things that God has done, The reason I think that this is so important and why I wanted us to talk about the prayer shawl during this series is because there will not be a great move of God among us without deep, intense prayer. It will not happen. Because if we're not spending time in deep, intense prayer, we are not spending time in the presence of God. We are not hearing from God. We are not going to be moved by God, and we ourselves will not be changed by God. See, when we talk to people and... I met with a group of pastors this week, and I just asked them, I just, I mean, great churches, great pastors. I just asked, I said, did you, or or how many of you regularly spend time praying with other people? No one did. No one did. If we were to go through this room, our response to that may be, wow, that's not good. And then I would ask Augusta in this room, how many of you within this room regularly have a time that you are praying with someone? And it's very likely we would say, I mean, maybe at meals, at church, small group when I get called on to pray. <laughs> And yet, as we look through Scripture, if we don't have the presence of God, if we can't hear the voice of God, and if we aren't changed by the Holy Spirit of God, we will not see a great move of God among us. We won't see it in our families. We won't see it in our lives. We won't see it in our churches. We won't see it in our community. We won't see it in our nation. We will not see it in the world. Because it is when we approach Him that things change. It's when we bow to Him that things change. Right now I'm reading just in my own reading time. I'm reading through the book of Judges, which is kind of a fun book to read. You know, when you're, you like it, you know, action and adventure and you kind of step out and go, wow, these are some incredible stories, stories of Gideon, the stories of Samson. And I mean, there's some incredible stories within there. But what's amazing is that the nation of Israel prospered whenever they remembered God and whenever they followed God and when they followed the commands of God, but whenever they didn't. It's not that God did bad things to them. Two things happened when they stopped following God in the ways in which he told them to. Number one, God withdrew his presence from them. Which by itself causes terrible things to happen. And the second is, if you remember what we talked about with the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the law was not just so God could say, I'm just going to make you prove that you love me. But the law was meant to be helpful to us, to help restore us to the place in which we were in the garden. 
This is what it looks like to walk with me. That's what the law is. And when we walk away from understanding his word, we walk away from obeying his word, then we enter into all of the terrible things that sound good to us. But God says, those, will, those things will kill you. And so we experience the withdrawal of the presence of God, and we also experience all of the penalty for the actions that lead to death. And that's what we see in the book of Judges and much of the Old Testament. Follow God, things go well. Stop following God, things don't go well. Without prayer, without seeking the presence of God, without being under the lordship of his word and of his commands, we will never see a great move of God among us. Now, it's okay for us to say, God, I'd really like to see you do something. I'd really like to see it. But wishful thinking that God will do something is not the same as spending time in deep prayer with God. And much of what we do when we talk about praying is wishful thinking. Now, how do we understand this? Just keep going. As we read throughout Scripture, we'll find that the Israelites cherished their times of prayer. In Psalm 61, 4, I want you to remember the image. Remember the image of the prayer closet. As they bring it around them, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your what? Which we know is? Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Literally what their prayer was, let me be in your presence forever. Let me be in submission to your word forever. Now, there's nothing special about this. God's not in this. It's not that you need to go get one of these. You can off of Amazon for $14.99. You can come see me for $12.99. I'll have some in the back. And No, I'm kidding. I don't. I don't. It'll be $57.99 here, but uh, no. These themselves are not special. It's not that somehow God's Spirit is manifested in that cloth. They're symbols, like baptism. Baptism doesn't mean all of a sudden you're this radically changed person. You should be a radically changed person before you get in the baptismal waters. It's just showing everybody else, I'm changed. But in itself, that water, I mean, it feels good when it's warm and it's, you know. But it has no magical powers in and of itself. When we take communion, we remember this is the body and blood of Jesus. It's a symbol. But our hope is not in the bread or the juice or the wine, however your tradition follows it. Our hope is in the one who gave his life for us. And we are intently remembering that. That is where power is. It's through Christ, not through bread and juice. But we remember that. So it wasn't that all this power was in the prayer shawls they pulled it around it but it was in their heart saying i want to be in the presence of god forever i want to be surrounded by your word forever as time went on prophecy came about and jews began to believe that the coming messiah's prayer shawl could literally heal you in malachi 4.2, it says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, which is the Messiah, shall, this is Malachi before Jesus comes on the scene, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its what? You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a great picture. That's why I don't dance at wedding receptions, because that's exactly how I look. Some of you all can dance, not me. I look like a cow jumping around. It's an awkward thing. I'm just sparing you. I'm telling you. I'm just sparing you from it. It's an awkward thing. In Matthew 9, we read about someone who believed this was very true, that there would be healing in his wings, and his wings would have been his what? The fringes, the tassels, and his garment that he wore. Because Jesus would have worn this. We, we sometimes think, well, Jesus didn't follow any of these traditions. He followed every single one of them. He changed many of them, but he followed every single one of them. He would have had a prayer shawl wrapped around him. In Matthew chapter 9, behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the what? 
tassels, the fringe of his garment, which have been the fringe of his prayer shawl. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. What is she thinking of? The son of righteousness will come and he will have healing in his wings. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well, which is a great reminder of all of these symbols importance. And that he didn't say my garment made you well. He didn't say my tassels made you well. He said your faith has made you well. It wasn't that she reached, it wasn't the physical act. Well, it somewhat was, but it wasn't necessarily the physical act of reaching out and grabbing it. It was a heart that said, this is the Messiah. And you'll remember when Jesus asked Peter and said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the son of God. And he said, well, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. It was a great picture of faith when in that moment before Jesus had revealed himself fully that someone would say, I see it in you. You are the Messiah. If I can just get close to you, you have healing in your wings. If we follow that story, Jesus looked around and he said, who touched me? Because power went out from me as if he didn't know. But he had to stop in that moment because this was a significant moment. See, there are times in which your prayer may not go the way you want to go. And still to this day, Jesus is looking for the same thing. Do we have faith? Do we believe? See, I'm a firm believer that if we believe, we do spend time in God's word. It's not that we have to in order to believe. I spend time in God's word because I believe. I believe there is power in his words. I believe what he has shared with us is true. I believe when he says, seek me and you will find me, that I must seek him because I will find him. I do believe on an evangelical place that if a person is seeking God, it is because God has first sought them. And that even when I look at someone's life and I think they will never come to follow Christ, still God stand there knocking. And if they will open the door, he will come in and he will be with them and them with him. Because remember, all of this leads to the place where we are with God in the way that he had intended from the beginning. So not only... Do we see these incredible places where this is, is not just having great meaning for them, but there is great power coming out to them? We also see Jesus warning them about the use of this symbol. And it is, it is a warning that we ourselves should remember, our, we should also remember. He warned his disciples about valuing the symbol of prayer over actual prayer. In other words, we go through the motions, but they don't have great meaning for us. Matthew 23, 5, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, this is what he says about them. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. It means they walked around with theirs and they didn't tuck their tassels in. No, they had them out, but they had them extra long because I am extra faithful to God. We don't do that today. We put Jesus stickers on the back of our cars, right? <laughs> We wear t-shirts, you know, and they would go around and they would want you to look at them and go, oh, wow, there, there are some incredible people. And that's what they wanted. And that's what they wanted. See, for them, the symbol was more important than the actual act of praying. In Matthew chapter 6, this is what he says, also referring to them. And this is also how he introduces the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the fa- your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's he saying to them? 
Go into your room and pray. Do it because this is between you and God. Now, this does not mean we don't pray with others. But he's saying you better have that right before you worry about how other people see you pray. Now, I don't think that's really that big of an issue for a lot of people today. Most people don't want to be seen praying. <laughs> if I were just to say, listen, I'm gonna, I would like for you to come up and pray, the majority in this room would be like, <gasps> everybody looking at the floor. You know, you know how you do that. Like when the teacher calls you, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to look down. I'm not going to look at you. If I make eye contact, you'll pick me. Not saying that we don't pray with others. He's saying that make sure that your time of prayer is sincere and it is about you and God. And not about other people looking at you going, wow, it's great. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So your prayer is meant to be for God and for you. But he is the object. He is what's most important. He is what draws us. He calls us. He is is the one that wants to do something within us. When we pray with others, that is meant to be a shaping experience for us together. That's why we will sometimes pray together. It's a shaping experience. When you go into your small group, each of your small groups should have a time of praying together. This is a shared experience of us shaping together God's presence among us, following God's word among us, seeing God do something supernatural among us is what prayer is meant to be. See, when you begin to see prayer like that and not as a spiritual obligation, prayer becomes something you can't live without. When it's an obligation, whether it be scripture is memory or scripture reading or prayer, once that all becomes obligatory, it loses all power. You might as well just not even do it. When it becomes, this is my time with God, I experience the presence of God. I hear from God. The ever-living, one true God. You cannot live your life without it. You cannot do it. It becomes second nature where you don't need to have a prayer cloth to remind you with the tassels hanging down. But within you is the Holy Spirit saying, come with me, come to me. Let me be with you. He goes on then in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. He just said how not to pray. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We call that the Lord's Prayer, and some of you grew up reading that, reciting that together regularly, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are some that they make this a regular part of their prayer life. I, I meet with some different pastors from Orthodox, Catholic, and Anglican churches, some from Greek Orthodox, some from Eastern Orthodox, and their traditions are very different than mine. Sometimes they will just read through a list of prayers, and for them there is great meaning. If you find yourself wanting to read through prayers of others, whether they be saints, whether they be scripture, whatever, then do it. It can be me. Don't let that be all you do. But you can do that. If you want to read through or recite the Lord's Prayer, you can do that. Our Father in heaven, is He is the object of our prayer. Verse 10, when we talk about it, Scripture tells, tells us God wants you to bring your needs to Him. When you're struggling, God wants you to bring that to him. When you don't know what to do, God wants you to bring that to him. He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask. Bring them to me. But what Jesus teaches us is the way that we bring those needs to him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. There are so many times God would have had to have gone against his character to answer my prayer. And so which, which is the better response? God change your character 
or maybe I need to change my prayer. Which is the greater response? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Or we do have, we do have real needs we need to take before God. God is not simply saying, suck it up. Deal with it. Be happy with what you got. He's saying, come to me. I want to hear these things. I want to know what's on your heart. I want to know what keeps you up at night. I want to know what you're struggling with. Bring it to me. Come on. I'm here. I will be with you. But understand the difference between our needs and what we often refer to as our wants. Understand the difference in those things. Forgive us our debts. As we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sometimes our, we, our understanding of the gospel is a little, little off. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I no longer have to ask forgiveness because you know what? I have been saved by, by his blood. I have been sanctified by his blood. I've been justified by his blood. I, I don't need to ask forgiveness anymore. There's no true follower of Jesus that believes that. I will tell you that. Because we all know that until the day Jesus returns or we go back to him, to heaven with him, whether we're raptured or whether his return, we're struggling with sin. I, I struggle with sin. I struggle with temptation. At the end of the day, I have to, I have to say I messed up. And Jesus is saying, he's demonstrating that. What's interesting is that Jesus is demonstrating prayer, talking about asking for forgiveness of sins, and he didn't have any to be forgiven. It was not about his need for forgiveness. It was about demonstrating that we need to be forgiven. Here's how I want to, here's how I want to finish up today. I, I really could care less if you remember anything about the prayer shawl. I mean, I love it. I think it's fascinating. I love the history of it. I love to see how God has worked. But I really could care less whether or not you walk out of here and go, you know what? Those four spaces in between the knots are the name of Jesus in Hebrew. That is amazing. And those 613 knots throughout the fringes that represent the... If you don't remember any of that, that's quite all right. Jesus didn't die on the cross, so we would continue to carry the prayer shawl. I do want you to walk out of here knowing that if you are not spending time regularly in prayer with God, something is wrong and you are missing something. Some of you have rich, deep prayer lives. You're sustained by your time with God. Some of you are learning. You're growing in this. And this is something maybe you haven't had modeled for you or or you know you're supposed to do it, but it just feels kind of weird or awkward. And I get that. Some of you truly believe that God doesn't want to hear from you. And there was a time I would not have assumed that about people. But there are some. I run into people all the time who genuinely believe God does not want to hear from them. God is so great, incredible, beautiful, perfect. I am so less than. I cannot come to him. That is not God speaking to you. That is the enemy speaking to you. Because he's saying, come, I want to be with you. There's something within us that we create this arbitrary scale that says, here's good Christians and there's bad Christians. And I'm really not sure which one I am. I think for humility's sake, if I say I'm a bad Christian, that's probably a good thing. That's not the way God works. It's not the way he works. So if you're starting in this process... I want to encourage you to make a, a not just a, a short-term commitment, but a commitment for the rest of your life that no matter what prayer looks like right now for you, you are go- this is going to be a regular part of your life. Paul in Romans 12, 12, what is in some of your Bibles marked in marks of the true Christian. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in, tribul- in tribulation, be constant in in prayer. Don't stop. If you do, if you pray once a day, praise the Lord. Pray twice. If you pray twice a day, awesome. Pray four times a day. 
Now, the point is not that we're racking up some point system and going, I'm up to six. What are you up to? What are you up to? I'm up to 10. Did I say six? I meant six before lunch. Uh, You know, I'm up to 18. You know, so that's not the point. The point is not that today I pray as many times as I did last time. You know, how many of you guys are using version for like reading plans and stuff? Yeah. Okay. It's a great tool. If you're not, I encourage you to use it. There's tons of great reading opportunities there. You can read with people. You can take notes. Um, it's, a, it's a great tool. But, you know, they, they put a feature on there that I absolutely hate. And it's the streaks. Have I mentioned that in here before? Okay. I think I've talked to some of you about this. I can't stand this new function in the version reading the the reading plans for streaks you've read five days in a row don't miss out on your sixth and you get those notices like don't don't lose your streak and i remember their streaks were a big thing weren't they emma they were a big thing one time when she had streaks going on with her friend and she's going on vacation and other friends have to keep up with their streaks like we got 300 days in a row we cannot miss our streak And so version now has streaks, and I'm thinking, am I reading God's Word, or am I praying because I don't want to miss my streak, or am I doing it because God is waiting to meet with me? I want to meet with Him. There's a difference. Now, I, it's not a big deal. It's not like they're unspiritual because they've got streaks, and if you're following and you've got like 200 streaks, just don't tweet about it, right? Just don't tweet about it. But that's great for you. I'm glad that you've got 200 streaks or however many you've got. I think I'm on three. So make the rest of you feel better. I think I'm on three right now. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But uh, God is waiting for you. If you're starting, you want to start. Here's some easy ways to start. And and this is so very basic. And this is not meant to be uh, a rigid structure. This is just get started. Here, Here are some ways to make this a more regular part of your life. Number one, get alone with God. Get alone with God. Just choose to. Early in the morning, at lunch, in the car, on your way home, before you go to bed, whenever, get alone with God. Schedule time. And just start praying. When I became a Christian, I had grown up in the church, and I had attended a church. We, we joined the church that I attended from the time, from the time I was one year old, until the time I went to college. I went to the same church. But I was 15 before I really understood what it meant to come to faith in Christ. So that means I had been attending churches for 14, or that church for 14 years before I did. I knew the motions. I knew what you were supposed to believe. I had not come to the place where my heart said, I want Jesus more than anything else in the world. But when I came to that moment, I, no joke, My prayer to him began like this, God, this is Mark, love, I'm not sure if you remember me, I've been going to church for a while, I'm not joking, I was 15 years old, I'm not joking a bit, this is how my prayer started, I had no clue what I was doing or talking about, I just knew I needed Jesus, Uh, I knew pretty quickly that that was a very silly way to pray, but it didn't matter. Because in that moment, I was making time for him. I needed to be with him. It was genuine. Yeah, it was. Get alone with God. Number two, focus on the spiritual. Don't focus on the things going on in your life. Focus on the deeper things that are happening in that moment that you are talking with God. Number one, you are communicating with the creator of all things. You are creating with, you are creating, you are speaking with the one who sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. Even when you were dead and lost in your sin and your trespasses and you have done nothing in order to gain this great gift from him, you are speaking to the one who sent his son to die for you so that you could have this opportunity to speak with him. Think about spiritually what's going on within that moment. 
It's very easy if you are not used to praying out loud to think about your words. I got to get the right words. I don't want to sound silly. I got to have the right words. Jesus is less concerned with your words, just like the woman. He was less concerned that the woman grabbed the tassel with he when, than him knowing that she understood he was the Messiah. He understands what's going on in your heart. Reach out with your heart. Focus on the spiritual. This is a supernatural act with God. And don't only focus on what you have to say to him. That is a part of it. Focus on what he has to say to you. Because prayer is not meant to be a one-way conversation. I know that sounds weird. And if you've not experienced that, you're thinking, "Eh, whatever. I, I don't know about that. I don't always, in every prayer, feel like God has spoken directly to me. But many times he does. It is a two-way street. I believe there is a reason that he gave them a prayer shawl in which they would accommodate their prayers with him and demonstrate his presence among them. And he had wrapped around the entire thing for them to see all day, every day, his word. Weave scripture into your prayers. You can pray through scripture. You can quote scripture. You can read scripture. But let scripture be a part of your time of prayer. Weave it in there. Understand that he hears your prayers and he hears your heart. In Revelation 5, this is part of John's revelation of what heaven is is like, what's happening in heaven right now. If you remember, we talked a little bit about this over the rainbow and that in the throne room right now is a rainbow to remind God of his promise that he made. This is also what's going on within this. I want you to listen to this. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are literally an aroma for God that he keeps in his throne room. When you think, gosh, I'm just not that spiritual. Oh, I'm not that good a Christian. Oh, I've messed up so many times. God does not want to hear from me. Your prayers are an aroma that God keeps in his throne room next to him. This is how powerful prayer is. These symbols, they're not just cute little things we do in church. We're talking about the overall supernatural order of all creation is affected by these things. And yet something in us says, oh, but not me, but not me. Yeah, maybe, maybe somebody else, but not me. Yes, you. Yes, you. There is no distinction there is no scale. You know, the really spiritual ones, this is where we keep their prayers. Yours, we just kind of, you know. There, there's no distinction. Your prayers are an aroma to God. He welcomes them. He wants them. He is moved by them. Focus on the spiritual. But, number three, say what you need to say. Now, some of you just need some permission this morning. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten upset with God. Probably none of you have. I have. Probably none of you. I don't know if you've ever communicated doubt to God in your prayers. I have. (laughs) Probably you all haven't, but I have. Say what you need to say. There are times that I have prayed for something to go a certain way, and it goes the exact opposite. And I go to God, and I say, God, I don't understand. And I don't like this. I don't know what you want to do now through this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And God in his mercy and grace listens to my prayer with patience and love. Now, if you stay there, that's not a good thing. I'll just tell you up front. It's not a good thing to get mad at God and stay mad at God. All right. It doesn't work out for anybody in scripture. Say what you need to say. You're going to need to confess sin in your life. Just, just 
Get it out there. If you go to God in prayer and you're like, God, I literally, I mean, I've really been good today. I've got nothing to confess. Here's a little trick I've learned. Just ask him, is there anything I need to confess? And then you probably won't ask that anymore. (laughs) Say what you need to say. Let me also encourage you, though, spend time in worship. Spend time in praising him. We need to say those things. Spend time in thanking him for the way he's working. Thank him for not granting your prayer when you realize what would have happened if he had. Give him your request for help. Don't be ashamed to say, I need you. These things are happening. I don't know what to do. Give him your request for help. Thank him. When he answers your prayer. I have found one of the keys to contentment is thankfulness. And one of the keys to living a thankful life is to continue to remember the things that you're thankful for. Thank him for those things. And a fourth thing I'm going to give you for today. Listen more than you talk. And this is, this, this is counterintuitive. Because we think we should be talking, and then we're sitting here going, I'm waiting for God to say something. I don't know. Oh, it's getting, hmm, how long am I supposed to do this? What is he going to say? Hmm. And so we speak, and we speak, and then we kind of guard ourselves from being disappointed. And so we just kind of speak and speak and speak, and then we just kind of stop and go on, and we don't really give him a chance to speak because we're afraid he won't speak. But I'm going to tell you in, time, in your times of prayer, you need to listen more than you talk. If you're doing all the talking, you're never going to hear him speak to you. You're never going to hear him say things to you. It also means that whenever you're listening, oftentimes God brings scripture to mind. Sometimes I don't know why. It has nothing to do with anything I'm thinking about. And the scripture comes up. And those are invitations to submit to God's word and to submit to God's leading. Follow him and do those things. Our purpose in prayer is not to change God. You cannot change God. Soren Kierkegaard said, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. That's what we seek when we pray. Here's what I'll leave you with today. Prayer is the opportunity to experience God more fully in your life. When you begin to do that, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, prayer leads us to these things. I want us just to, just to spend a couple of minutes I want to give you an opportunity to pray here because some of you have lots of things you've got to do when you get out of here and you're going to forget this. Just for a couple of minutes before the band comes out, I just want us to spend some time praying together, okay? Uh, we've got plenty of time. You're going to get out of here on time. It's going to be great. But let's just, we're going to handle number one right now. We're getting alone with God right now. I mean, we're all here, but if you want to pray with somebody, you can do that. If you want to pray quietly, you can do that. If you want to pray silently, you can do that. But we're getting alone with God right now. So let's just bow our heads. If you want to come up here and pray up here, you can do that. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to lift your hands, you can lift your hands. And if you want to just sit there quietly, you can do that too. As we sit here just prayerfully, I want you to focus on the spiritual God is in his throne room right now with golden bowls surrounding him full of our prayers. The sweet aroma, he is listening to you, hearing you. Focus on who God is, worship that is due him.
What about God can you praise Him for right now? Know that God hears you. He's invested in you. He cares about you. Believe He wants to speak to you. Say what you need to say to Him. If you're hurt, if you're doubting, if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're happy, if you're thankful, if you need time to confess, say what you need to say to Him. If you need his help, tell him. If you're afraid, tell him. Now be still and be quiet and just just open your heart <coughs> I don't know if he has something to say to you in this moment and in this place <coughs> but just listen God, let us be a people of prayer. Let us not demonstrate to the world that we're living this life based on our best efforts, but we're living this life based on your power and your presence. God, I pray that you would make it so evident within the lives and hearts of every person that's in here. You're real. You are here. You hear these prayers. You have something to say to us. God, I thank you that you are so magnificent. I thank you that you saved us even when we have done nothing to earn that gift of mercy and forgiveness. God, I don't know what all you have planned for every person within this room, but I know your plan is perfect and it is drawing us to a place of your design. I pray that you would give us patience as we go through times of struggling and suffering, times of fear and hurt, times of anger. Father, I pray we will never look at you as just this nebulous thing out there that we don't understand. But instead, you are our God. We are your children. We will be with you forever. I pray that your presence be so overwhelming for us, so overwhelming within our lives, within our hearts, that we can't help 
talk about what you're doing within us. Forgive us when we have failed. Restore us when we have walked away. Guide us as we take steps that we don't always know the best step to take. God, let us see and hear you because it is your presence for which all this has been done. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.